I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, April 16th, 2012. Oh man, today we begin our worst Easter sermon of the year contest. Some of the uh, nominees you all have been sending to me, <laughs> they're horrible. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is a lot of really crazy, bad, off, bizarre things being said about Jesus Christ, about God, Christianity, and the sort, and it's unbelievable that it's happening within the Christian church. I mean, it's one thing if somebody outside of Christianity you know, misunderstands, doesn't quite get it, maybe misheard what Christianity's all about. It's a whole other thing when the people doing that are, well, actually in the Christian church and preaching in Christian pulpits and writing books that are being published by, well, Christian uh, publishing houses. And yeah, there's, unfortunately, there is just a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. So we kind of put the brakes on and just ask the question, is this what God's word says? Is this what God's word teaches? Or is this false doctrine, heresy, a false gospel, something that compromises the biblical message? And why is this happening in Christian churches? This is ultimately a lesson in teaching you how to do that very thing so that you can, well, be like a Berean. When, you know, it says of the Bereans that they were of a more noble character than the Thessalonians because when the Apostle Paul preached the gospel to them, they tested to see if what he said was true. They tested his gospel. Is this the biblical gospel? Was their question. 
and they found that when they went back into their Old Testaments, when they back went back into the Septuagint, that would be the uh, Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew Old Testament that was used during the first century uh, in the Mediterranean world, that set the you know the standard there that people would use to teach the Bible prior to Christ in the New Testament. And when they went back into the Old Testament to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying was true, lo and behold, they discovered, yeah, what Paul is saying, that is absolutely true. That is the biblical gospel. And, well, they were brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, which is really what Christianity is all about. And if we can't get that message straight, if we compromise that message for the sake of political expediency or for so that we can be relevant or things like that, then what happens is is that we end up messing up what Christianity is about and in it basically introduces a foreign pathogen, something that is a viral, something that is not good, that ultimately overtakes the biblical message and takes our our eyes off of Christ and puts it onto something completely different. And so, uh, you know, this this program, it's not politically correct. I try not to pull punches. I try to just hit things straight up and report to you current things that are happening as well as, well, we do sermon reviews to kind of <clears throat> pull the uh, curtain back from the Wizard of Oz so that you can see the man behind the curtain pulling the levers and say, ah, I see what's going on here. That's kind of what we do here. So this week, well, we got we got a lot of stuff that we got to do this week. But uh, this week uh, in our uh, sermon review time, hour number two, this is going to be uh, this week is the whole all of the sermons we review during the normal program this week are are going to be put forward for you to vote on, for you to uh, well to decide as to whether or not uh, they have risen to the level of receiving your votes. You know. Uh, for the coveted title of worst Easter sermon of the year, 2012. I mean, in you know, in years past, I think we've had Ian Lawton win, we've had uh, Joel Osteen win. You know, I was surprised that uh, Bill Johnson didn't win last year. Again, it's just strange to me. But um, so what we do is we collect up sermons that just biff it. That I mean, where the pastor completely misses it. And believe me when I tell you, there's there are a lot of uh, sermons that are not going to make the cut this year that that in years past may have. Um the <laughs> you know <sighs> you know in trying to pick out the worst of the worst, which is really the goal here, you know for you to vote on, you know I've had to uh, you know I I've, I've had to categorize the sermons into kind of different groups. You know, this is where this group goes wrong. This is where this group goes wrong. Some of them are just banal. Some of them are silly. Some of them are, oh, man. And so uh, what we're going to do this year is we're going to kick off our worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest in hour number two. And our first contestant is Chris Songson from uh, South Hills Church in Corona, California. I'm not going to tell you about it right now. But that's going to be our first sermon to, uh, to to be considered. And uh, believe me when I tell you, I can play a lot of different sound bites from the openings of sermons where you can tell immediately what's going to go wrong with them. And I might do a montage of um, of those pastors who didn't quite make the uh, the cut this year, but you know they were strongly considered. And y'all have been sending me nominees like crazy. And it was so funny. I I was sitting on my laptop going through my email, 
this morning and, you know, looking at some of the latest nominees I've been receiving via email. And I, I queued one up and I started listening to it and I was cracking up. It was so, oh man, I think I, that, I think that one's going to make the cut. I don't want to give the punchline away, but man, I, this is preposterous. This is absurd. And so the whole point of last week was fill your mind up so you know what a good sermon sounds like uh, at Easter. So that, you know, when we get into this week, you sit there and go, oh, something ain't right here. Something's terribly off. And all of it's to make a point. Christianity's about Christ, and that has been lost on many pastors. That point it doesn't even register in the minds of so many Christian pastors who call themselves Christian, who claim that their church is there advancing and growing the kingdom of God. And yet when you listen to their sermons over and again, a clear proclamation of what Jesus has done for us, is what's missing in their church. And I ask, how is it that these man-centered, Bible-twisted, watered-down things called sermons, if you can call them that, have any power to do anything other than to frustrate people and send them on their way to hell, keep them on the road to hell? Because Christ isn't preached in them. And, you know, if he is, it's it's the gospel nugget, you know, where where, you know, uh, well, in order to make this sermon look Christian-y, we're, we'll make the obligatory nod to Jesus and him crucified for our sins. Yay, thank you, Jesus. And now let's talk about what we want to talk about. That's what happens in these things, and it's rather, rather disheartening. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a little bit of work we need to do here in the first hour, and so I'm going to cut the monologue portion a little bit short today so that we can talk about this. The first thing we're going to take a look at is a news story, uh, an op-ed piece that Ed Stetzer wrote for the Christian Post, and the name of it is Obama, Romney, self-professed Christians who many Christians don't believe actually are Christians. And apparently Ed uh, Ed Stetzer wants to weigh in on this uh, issue as to whether can we answer can we answer the question is Mitt Romney a question? I I'm going to I'm not going to focus on the Obama piece of it. Instead, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna just focus on the the Mormonism aspect of it here, and point out the fact that Ed Stetzer's op-ed piece isn't helpful, and the reason it's not helpful is because it doesn't address the issue directly. It ans- it addresses the issue by kind of blurring things and not really straight up giving us an answer. I mean, I'm looking for the punchline on this. By the way, yeah, again, free media consulting here. If the media ever comes to you and asks asks you the question, is Mitt Romney a Christian? Your answer, plain and simple, straight up, no. Why? Because Mormons believe in a false Jesus and a false gospel and a false God. Plain and simple. If Mitt Romney were a Christian, he would never be attending a Mormon, quote, church just plain and simple you know stick to christ who he is and he, and 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 the biblical gospel itself the answer is no and i don't think ed stetzer has quite done the body of christ a good service here in this op-ed piece that he's written um so we'll we'll tackle that here in a minute i've got a uh i've got a <clears throat> ed young uh video apparently ed young has uh 
decided to put a video out there setting the record straight regarding you know the his use of animals um in his wild sermon series which began on Easter Sunday where he used a lion and a, a literal lion and a lamb and so he's hitting back but what i thought, found interesting is is that in his um setting the record straight video um he <laughs> used this as an opportunity to kind of forward propaganda style, if you would, uh, you know, to reinforce the major tenets of uh, of the seeker-driven movement, which I found rather fascinating and interesting. And then after the break here, what we're going to do is we're going to do part two uh, of, uh, of of our coverage from the miracle offering service that was recently uh, performed. And you know, I don't know. Yeah. The fleecing that took place at the hands of Phil Pringle, the miracle offering service that they had there at the Presence Conference, which is now concluded. And uh, again, uh, Jake Elliott of C3 Church Watch has uh, uh, been gracious in helping us get the uh, the video so that we can work through this. And I, I expect that there's going to probably be a few more uh, installments here, segments where we're going to talk about this. And then in hour number two, we'll listen to our first contestant in this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. So I just, I want to let you all know that. And um, also to let you know, a programming decision on my part, um, when we do our light edition this week, whichever day I pick to choose, uh, you know, to do that light edition, the light edition this week will be dedicated to only listening to um, the sermon or sermons. I haven't decided if it's going to be multiple ones yet. Um, uh, for uh, your consideration for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. So um, make yourself comfortable. Trust me when I tell you tinfoil pyramid hats, bendy straws, duct tape, knee pads, um, probably a catcher's, uh, you know, uh, mitt, and potentially maybe even one of, you know, like some gear that like a catcher would wear in Major League Baseball to protect yourself for what it is that you're going to experience on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Not necessarily in the next few minutes, but for what's coming. I just want to prepare you for that. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. From the Christian Post, headline reads, Obama, Romney, self-professed Christians whom many Christians don't believe actually are Christians. Oh, I mean, just the headline is convoluted. Uh, Ed Stetzer, the uh, famous missiologist, um, writes writing for the Christian Post, talking about this. He says, now the presidential race is really on and down to two candidates, both who identify themselves as Christians. But it appears that many Americans and a strong majority of evangelicals don't think either of them actually are Christians. In other words, both President Barack Obama and Governor Mitt Romney profess to be Christians, but that profession is widely disbelieved. Romney is doubted primarily because he is a Mormon, while President Obama is doubted for a variety of reasons. So the obvious question is, are they Christians? Evangelical See, that's a fair question. Are they Christians? Now, when it comes to Obama, you know, I've covered this on previous installments, and it's it, that's, you know... One of those things where it's a little bit more blurry than the issue regarding Mitt Romney. As far as I'm concerned, when it comes to Mitt Romney, plain and simple, the answer is no. I mean, there is no other way to answer this question. And that's what's missing from Ed Stetzer's piece here. This is a, a, a – y'all remember the Karate Kid? 
Yeah, you remember that the the original one with uh, Pat Morita, and uh, you know where he played Mr. Miyagi, and young Danielson is coming to him, you know, wanting him, to, you know, to make the decision to train him in the art of karate so that he can protect himself from that evil, you know, gang of thuggish uh, bullies, and uh, and uh, Pat Morita looks at uh, at at Danielson. And he says, you know, that he needs to make a commitment. You know, it's either karate do or karate don't. Not karate maybe, because karate maybe you get squish. I, 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 that's my best impression of Pat Morita. Yeah, you know, karate maybe gets squish. Anyway, um, this this is like this is like the thing that Pat Morita is warning against, but the biblical Christian version of it. Okay, you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. Okay, you either believe the biblical gospel and you believe in the biblical Jesus or you don't plain and simple. It's not, you know, and not answering this question straight up actually creates more problems, not less. Now, I understand that there's a lot of evangelicals out there who are basically saying, shh, quiet, don't bring this up right now. We got to get him elected. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Um, as far as I'm concerned, whether or not Mitt Romney should be voted on to be the president of the United States is a completely separate issue as to whether or not he's a Christian. And Christians selling out by taking a firm stance on this does not ultimately help the cause of the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to sit down and say, okay. I'm just going to be quiet about this because it's a political season. And, of course, if I point out the fact that, you know, that uh, Mitt Romney is a Mormon and not a Christian, that, this, that there might be people who'd end up not voting for Romney as a result of it. And that would mean four more years of Obama. I don't care. OK, you don't. You, there's no way. There is no way for Christians to advance the cause of Christ by for a season selling out or shutting up or being quiet or waffling or compromising or whatever so that we can get somebody supposedly conservative elected as opposed to Obama. And what's being sold out is biblical truth. Because believe me when I tell you, the world is watching. Okay? You know, if you give a waffled answer this year on it, let's say that uh, Mitt Romney gets elected as president. A year from now, you think people aren't going to notice, well, last year you weren't really willing to weigh in on this, and now you're saying he's not a Christian? What gives? We need to be consistent, because biblical truth doesn't change. So what's interesting is to watch how Ed Stetzer's kind of unfolds this. So he asks the question, the obvious one, are, you know, the obvious question is, are they Christians? Talking about Obama and, and Romney. Evangelical Christians see being a Christian is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ made possible through Christ's death on the cross for our sin and on our place. Through his sacrifice, we can receive new life in Christ, a new life that comes through a conversion experience. Not exactly, but okay. This inward reality is accomplished by outward signs bearing witness to that fact. In the end, though, only the person in God can say with certainty whether or not she or he has been converted. Uh, plain and simple, the Bible makes it clear that those who teach a different gospel than the one laid out in Scripture are not saved, they're accursed, they're 
damned, if, if I can be so bold. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul, how he argues in Galatians chapter 1. If you want to see this, Galatians chapter 1. Um, Hang on a second here. i got to switch uh, Bible translations here. Yeah, that's what happens when I'm studying in a different translation. Okay, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another. Uh, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've preached to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word anathema. Damned. That's what it means. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What is the Mormon gospel? The Mormon gospel is supposedly the good news that if you are obedient to the laws and ordinances of the Mormon church, the prophet in you know, the current prophet in Salt Lake City, which ultimately reflect the revelation of the laws and ordinances, well, to be revealed or revealed by Elohim, our Heavenly Father, who lives near Starbase Kolob, then you, by following the laws and ordinances of the Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, can go from being a human being to being a god. The Mormon gospel is summed up in what's called the doctrine or the law of eternal progression, which states, as man is God once was. As God is, man can become. That's the law of eternal progression. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is just one God of many gods. Elohim, he's one God of many gods. Elohim apparently was a man like us. He lives near Starbase Kolob, where he resides with, with well, his multiple spirit wives, and they are, well, perpetually, um, well, um, giving birth to spirit babies who need, and our job here on earth is to give vessels, bodies for these spirit babies that are being born to Elohim and his many polygamous wives so that they can have an opportunity to obey the laws and ordinances of Elohim and someday uh, hope to ascend to becoming gods themselves. That's not the biblical Jesus. That's not the biblical gospel. That's a false God, a false Christ, and a false gospel. Anybody who believes this, according to Scripture, not Roseboro, according to Scripture, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even if we or an angel from heaven, that would include the angel Moroni, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be damned. Are Mormons Christians? No. The Bible makes it perfectly clear. They teach a false Christ and a false gospel. So here Ed Stetzer, in trying to answer this question, is already already absconding. He's already blurring. He's already, well, kind of waffling and kind of sort of not giving a kind of answer so that we can not exactly have any hard things that we can hang on to in this. This is not, this is not the behavior of somebody who is a Christian minister and a leader in the Christian church. The simple answer is no. Mitt Romney is not a Christian, plain and simple. The Jesus he believes in doesn't exist. The gospel he holds to is a false gospel. He stands as one who is unconverted, unregenerate, apostate, reprobate, 
and on his way to hell, plain and simple. Mormonism and biblical Christianity cannot be squared. They are two completely different animals. So now we've got this kind of like non-answer here by um, <clears throat> by Ed Stetzer. He continues, Now, even though about 75% of Americans believe themselves to be Christians, most devout evangelicals do not believe that three of four Americans are Christian and would actually seek to share Christ with them so that they might become Christians. In other words, for evangelicals, being Christian is not a dem demographic category. I was born in America. I'm not Jewish. I went to a church as a child, but rather a faith commitment with a conversion when they were moved from unbelief to belief. To use biblical terminology, they moved from death to life, and to use Jesus' words, specifically, they are born again. Now, in a case where someone is within a religious tradition, even evangelical Christians, considered to be outside of biblical Christianity, most evangelicals would believe such a person could be a Christian. For example, you can ask an evangelical, could a Mormon be a Christian? Uh, they would generally say, well, yeah, but, uh, but we'll follow up by saying that as a Christian, they should and will eventually leave Mormonism. Notice, okay, this is real simple. Who is he appealing to here to answer this question? Demographics. He's appealing to, well, 75% of evangelicals. I'm sorry. The standard is God's word. The standard isn't what 75, 30%, 20%, 80% of any group believe, teacher, confess. The question is, what has God revealed? According to Revelation, according to the word of God, there ain't no Mormon who believes the biblical, uh, their gospel. There ain't no Mormon who believes their gospel and in their Jesus who saved. They're damned. The Apostle Paul said it, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Stetzer then continues. He says, well, in short, I don't know whether Governor Romney or President Obama is a Christian because God has not granted me the insight to see into a person's soul. Ed the Apostle Paul says, if somebody comes to you, it doesn't say, the Apostle Paul didn't take this tack with the Galatian church. Plain and simple. Okay, let me, again, let, let's see what the Apostle Paul wrote here. He says, I am astonished, verse, in chapter one, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but some are troubled you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel should, uh, from heaven should preach to you, a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul didn't say, well, listen, you know, those Galatians, I can't, see, you know, the, those Judaizers, in, you know, who've been upsetting you, I can't see into their heart. So I, you know, I don't know if they've had a genuine conversion experience or not, you know, so, you know, I, I can't, I can't answer with any certainty as to whether or not they're really Christians or not. Yeah, that's not the tack that the Apostle Paul took. The Apostle Paul said, even if we or an angel from heaven, including the angel Moroni, should preach to you, how do we know whether or not somebody is a Christian? What is it that they speak with their mouth regarding who Jesus is and what the gospel is? Plain and simple. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And by the way, this idea that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus himself taught. I would point you to Luke chapter 6, verse 45, where Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil tre treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Do you want to know whether or not somebody is a Christian? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I don't have to have some magical ability to look into somebody's heart to tell whether or not they believe in the biblical Jesus and trust in Christ in the biblical gospel kind of way. I ask them, and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If they believe the biblical gospel, and they've been born again, and they are heart, their heart of stone has been turned into a heart of flesh, then what will they will say is, I believe this, and what they say will be in accord with what Scripture says the gospel is and who Jesus is. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here we've got you know Ed Stetzer, a very prominent leader in the Christian church, waffling, waffling. I, you know, I can't look into their heart. I, you know, I, I just don't know. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's too. I can't. So I, you know, I. I and that's what he says. In short, I don't know whether Governor Romney is a Christian because God has not granted me the insight to see into a person's soul. Yeah, he has. Who does Mitt Romney say Jesus is? What's the gospel that he holds to? Plain and simple, if he is a biblical Christian, then he would hold to the biblical Jesus and the biblical gospel. So then he goes on. <clears throat> so there is much we cannot know with any certainty. Yet there are some things we do know, and the perceptions of Protestant pastors, evangelical churchgoers, and random Americans on this issue. So he says, you know, and so here, here's the idea. You know, Governor Romney, it appears, is a devout Mormon. He has even served as a Mormon missionary doing a standard two-year stint. You, you know the reason why Mitt Romney continues to attend and be a member of the Mormon church? Because he believes in the Mormon Jesus and believes the Mormon gospel. If he didn't, he wouldn't go there. Okay, so he calls himself a Christian, as many Mormons do. The Mormon faith now considers itself to be a Christian denomination, which is a major shift from uh, formerly calling itself the one true church and seeing denominations as apostate. By the way, they still teach that, Mitt. Have you talked to any Mormons lately? Okay, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, plain and simple, the name itself makes it clear that they don't believe that other other people in other denominations are really Christians. They're being chameleonic. So, and then he continues. He says, so regardless of the shift within Mormonism, a significant number of Americans and the majority of evangelical Christians do not believe Mormons to be Christians. That's not the point. The question is, if we're going to answer the question, is Mitt Romney a Christian, we need to look at the biblical standard and see if he meets it. Not whether or not a majority of a significant number of American evangelicals, you know, and, and the majority. That doesn't that doesn't decide truth. So viewing them as completely different religion outside of denominations of Christianity, in our research, 75% of, of Protestant pastors, not just evangelicals, disagreed that Mormons are Christians. According to a 2007 Pew Research poll, only 52% of Americans consider Mormons to be Christians, and evangelicals would be even more wary of seeing Mormons as Christians. The question... Ed, is does Jesus Christ, the real one, consider them to be Christians? If he did, then why did God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, the one true God, say that if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, let him be accursed? Okay? 
So Ed Stetzer continues with his non his, his non answer answer to this question that's kind of convoluted to begin with. He says if the election continues as it is shaping up, it presents an interesting situation that should lead to some important conversations. Sounds emergent. What do you do with two candidates, both of whom profess to be Christians, when so many people do not believe they actually are Christians? My hope is that we might have a helpful discussion about the three ways that people seem to use the term Christian. Uh, so now we're going to deconstruct the word. Well, this, is, this, by the way, is language deconstruction. So there's three different ways that people use the word Christian. Uh, number one, as a demographic category. For instance, I'm a non-Hindu, a non-Jewish, non-Muslim, non-atheist American filling out out my Facebook fo- profile. So it's the second way that people use the word uh, Christian is as, as a church attendance connection. I regularly or even sporadically attend a church that considers itself Christian. Or three, as a faith conversion. I once was without Christ, but now I've trusted him as the Savior and follow him as Lord. So evangelicals tend to see the third category as Christians in the biblical sense of the word. So that makes it hard to demand an answer to the question, do you believe blank is a Christian. However, it's an incredibly important question. Yeah, it's rather interesting that Ed Stetzer is engaging in language deconstructing here. He is deconstructing the word Christian so that at the end of this article, the term has no meaning. None whatsoever. And he doesn't answer the question. Is Mitt Romney a Christian? Yes or no, Ed. You need to answer the question. Because your answer sounds a lot like Rick Warren's. It was a non-answer. It was a non-answer. So he continues. He says, well, as political campaigns begin in earnest, the issue will become part of the debate, and it will not be easy to make clear distinctions that show truth and grace. Evangelical Christians already hold a minority position as to what a Christian actually is, one which others often find judgmental, even while evangelicals see conversion in biblical Christianity is central to what it means to be a Christian. Yes, politics will always make things more complicated. Yeah, he doesn't. he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't answer the question he alludes to demographic polls you know you know their their research data the three different ways in which the word christian is used and doesn't answer the question this is extremely problematic considering the fact that ed stetzer is considered one of the leading leaders within the missiological movement um, you know, and within Christian circles of the seeker-driven stripe. Non-answer. The answer to the question is simple. No. How do you know? Real simple. God's Word says so. Here's where. He doesn't confess the biblical Jesus. He believes in a false Christ that doesn't exist. It's an idol. The make, the, basically, the imagination of Joseph Smith and he believes a false gospel. So there is nothing, there's no, there, there's, with the biblical definition, which is the only definition that matters, of who is and who isn't a Christian, plain and simple, Mitt Romney ain't one. And that's the answer we need to be giving. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. Well, Max Holiday too. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. 
No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Doesn't it bother you how some Christians are quick to argue about theology? Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Wait a minute. Did you catch the double standard in that statement? What double standard? You just said that Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Yeah, so what? Do you believe that statement is accurate? Of course I do. So if you think that statement is accurate, would it be safe to say that you think that statement is correct? Of course I think it's correct. That goes without saying. If I think the statement is accurate I obviously think it's correct. I wouldn't have made the statement if I didn't think it was accurate or correct. Did you notice that your statement was making a theological point? Well, yes, I suppose it was. So let me see if I've correctly understood the statement you made. Okay. You said it bothers you how some Christians are quick to argue theology. Yes. That's what I said. It sounds like you're saying that it bothers you that some Christians argue theology in order to prove that something that you believe or have been taught is not correct? Well, um, yes, I guess that's what I was saying. But then you made a theological argument to try to prove that Christians shouldn't argue theology. Well, um, yes. So, on the one hand you say that it bothers you that Christians argue theology in order to prove your theology wrong but then on the other hand... You turned right around and employed a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong. That's cheating. You can't use a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong. That's like using logic to prove that logical argumentation is wrong or using a mathematical equation to prove that using math is wrong. I knew it. Knew what? You're one of those people. What do you mean by those people? You're one of those people who loves theology more than people. What on earth are you talking about? You're a close-minded blogger who lives in her mother's basement and spends every day in her pajamas on a beanbag typing away on a laptop while eating cheetahs and drinking Mountain Dew. money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, Christian leaders, those who are leading other Christians and pastors, need to have a firm theology and answer theological questions straight up and biblically. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. 038. Okay, I'm looking at my time here. Just to let you know, our, our segment on the Presence Conference and Phil Pringle's uh, miracle um, miracle offering, we're going to have to get to that in tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I went a little long in that segment, so this next segment is going to take up most of what's left of the first hour. So I just want to let you all know that. So here we go. We're going to be doing an Ed Young update. Although I'm having a flashback to my childhood. Aren't you glad I wasn't trying to sing along to that? I don't think I have a <clears throat> falsetto that could hit that note. Anyway, uh, Ed Young of uh, Fellowship um, Self-Help Center out there in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area has uh, decided that he's going to answer his media critics at, uh, you know, that have pointed out the fact that uh, that he may not have... Uh, you know, had the right permits, and he may have been, well, abusing animals on Easter Sunday. It's all part of his new wild sermon series. What I find interesting is is that in the video, the five-minute long video that Ed Young put together to answer these, you know, these media people, 
And he made a, he took the occasion to kind of reinforce the major tenets of uh, the seeker-driven movement. Yeah, here's Ed Young. Hi, I'm Ed Young, pastor of Fellowship Church, and I want to thank so many of you, hundreds of thousands of you, who are connected to Fellowship Church through social media, through television, through our C3 Global Network, and through our six campuses all over the place. This past weekend, I'm telling you, was one of the greatest weekends in the history of church. I cannot tell you the emails and letters and responses that we've received of life change. Of life change? All the emails and responses that we've received of life change. Well, see, you can't critique him now. I mean, there's life change going on out there at, the, at uh, Fellowship Church. You know, Ed Young, I mean, he's, there's folks that are experiencing life change. Well, the, we better not touch him, better not critique him, you know, because people are experiencing life change. What does that mean exactly, by the way? Is, is that the standard of uh, biblical Christianity, that somebody experiences life change? I mean, I've, I've heard of folks that have had life change by going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Tiger Woods went to, uh, what did he, how did that go? He, uh, you know, remember he had all those women that he was, well, you know, philandering with. And, uh, in the, you know, and so he checked himself into one of those rehab f for people who have sex addictions. He had life change occur. I mean, he's still a practicing Buddhist, but he had life change, you know, and so people, alcoholics, life change. I mean, you know, I think of some folks, I mean, didn't um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar have life change after he became a Muslim? I mean, there's a lot of folks out there having life change, and, you know, you don't need a crucified and risen Savior for that. So, I mean, but, you know, see, there you go. You can't critique him because all the, I mean, they, hundreds of thousands of people are sending him emails telling him about life change. Fellowship is one of the most attended churches in North America, and that's a total and complete God thing. Uh, right. See, the only reason why there's so many people attending there is because pff, that's a God thing. Yeah, see, th there's only one reason why uh, Fellowship Church is as big as it is. It's God. So if you're, if you're going to take on what we're doing here, pff, you, you need to talk to God. Because he's the one that's causing us to grow and, and, and basically giving Pastor Ed Young the vision for, you know, what they're doing here. Right. Well, you know, there's two billion Muslims on the planet, too. And um, yeah, they're growing rather rapidly. In fact, here's the funny thing. You know, strange as this might sound, um, I hate to break this to Ed. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, whew, they are growing so much faster than fellowship. It's true. I mean, and, you know, they even pray to Jesus and the Virgin Mary and other saints. But, um, you know, they, I mean, they, you know, Jesus, you know, has a you know, very, very important, you know, spot in their theology. Um, you know, so they, you know, they still do pray to Jesus and to Mary and the saints and, you know, Joseph. And then they have St. Christopher medals and, you know, other people that they pray for, for all kinds of different things. And, um, but, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church is growing so much better than even, you know, faster than the seeker-driven movement. And, I mean, what is it, 1.2 billion Roman Catholics on the planet? That's a God thing. See, you know, you can't question the Pope and Roman Catholic theology because they're growing. They're huge, man. And, the fact, they make Fellowship Church look kind of puny. We're creative. Why are we creative? Not because we're creative. Listen to this. 
in and of ourselves. We're creative because we're made, we're fashioned in the image of our creative God. Yeah. The church should be the most creative entity in the universe. Yeah, because God's creative, so we should be creative. By the way, that doesn't necessarily logically follow. And sometimes this, this shocks people. Yeah. And the reason it shocks people is because they're not familiar with Scripture. Right. Now, now here's the thing, Ed. Hate to break it to you. I'm really familiar with Scripture. So whatever it is that you're about to say, I'm really familiar with Scripture. So, okay, so creativity, people are unfamiliar with Scripture. Go ahead. Tell us what you're going to say. But as you read Scripture, specifically the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus, you see Jesus always using illustrations. Always using, see, he used illustrations. Right. So, okay, that means that justifies animals? Okay. Visuals. He drew in the sand, preached from boat bows. He, he drew in the sand. By the way, that's a contested text, but he, Jesus drew in. So, the reason, so drawing in the sand is the same thing as having a lion in your cage, in a cage, on your stage at your church. See, because Jesus was creative. You know, it doesn't say in that passage, which, by the way, is um, it's it's highly unlikely that that was in the original manuscripts. Um, it doesn't say what Jesus wrote, and you know, and, and here's the deal. You know, Jesus himself. I agree. He used illustrations. No problem with that whatsoever. But do, have you ever stopped to consider why Jesus spoke in parables? It just so happens that Jesus himself explains why. Let's take a look at Jesus, because I'm familiar with the Bible. Let's take a look at what Jesus said as to why he spoke in parables, to see if this jives with what, well, you know, Ed Young's doing here. Yeah, if you got your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, okay? This is where, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, where the parables start showing up, right? So that same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him. Oh, lots of creativity here. So that he got into a boat, sat down. Whew! Boy, that's creative. In fact, if you're familiar with this, where Jesus gave this sermon, it's a natural amphitheater right there on the Sea of Galilee. And it's more than likely that the reason why he's doing that from the boat is for acoustic reasons. But then again, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. This is just oozing with creativity here. So, okay, so. So the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Oh, look at that. Look at that creativity. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Whoa. Now that's just oozing with creativity right there. Um, now, everybody hearing this, they all went, Oh, that makes perfect sense, Jesus. Thank you for uh, creatively expressing this biblical truth to us. No. <laughs> they didn't understand anything he was saying. Okay, so the disciples, verse 10, came to Jesus and said, um, why do you speak to them in parables? Here's Jesus' answer. Are you ready? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
for to the one who has more will be given and to he who uh, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away this is why i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see hearing they do not hear nor do they understand indeed in their case the prophecy of isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear but never understand you will indeed see but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull with their ears they can barely hear with their eyes they have cl- they have closed lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and i would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly i say to you Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So then Jesus, starting at verse 18, explains to the disciples, not the crowd, the meaning of the parable that he told. In other words, Ed Young's justification for using wild animals on stage for his wild sermon series, you know, having a lion in a cage and a lamb and having the lion, the lion's owner provoking the lion to, you know, do, you know, to be aggressive. And Ed Young's thinking that's all because, well, God is creative and, and Jesus, you know, he wrote in the sand and Jesus used illustrations to make his point. Yeah, but it says in Scripture that when Jesus told parables, he told them specifically so that people would not understand. Having ears, they would hear but not understand. Eyes and see but not see. You get it? I mean, this whole justification doesn't even have, isn't even a correct biblical argument at all. He pointed to animals. He talked about all sorts of stories, things that the culture could connect with. In fact, yeah, but the problem was is that all the things that Jesus pointed to that the culture could connect with was specifically so that they wouldn't understand, not because he wanted them to understand, but because so that they wouldn't. In fact, the Bible says that he never spoke without telling a parable or a story. <laughs> right, and I just gave you Jesus' reason for why he spoke. You just going to ignore that? That's what we're doing at Fellowship. Jesus was called two things, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. This past Easter, we brought in a lion and a lamb. The illustrative aspect of it was stunning. People absolutely loved it. No gimmick. It's a God thing. Yeah, just blame it on God. So don't you critique him. That's a God thing. I'm so excited about churches all around America and the world who were stepping up and stepping out with creativity. But here's the deal. When you're doing great, people hate. People. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing great, people hate. See, that's the reason why he's got critics is because they're doing great. It's not that anybody has a substantive biblical criticism of Ed Young. No, 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 no. It's because they're doing great. And see, everybody who is critiquing them, they're nothing but a bunch of haters. By the way, folks, that's exactly how ideologues argue. It's not even an argument, is it? It's an ad hominem. And ad hominems are not even an argument. In fact, let's uh, do a little bit of education here. There's a video put out by the Intelligite uh, YouTube channel. You can find this at youtube.com forward slash I-N-T-E-L-I- 
E, sorry, I N T E L L I G I T E, the Intelligite YouTube channel. They have a fantastic little, well, less than two minute blurb on why ad hominems are not even an argument. Here, listen. Ad hominem is a Latin phrase meaning literally to the man. It refers to a logical fallacy, or in other words, a bad argument. Ad hominem is when someone uses a personal attack as an argument. This takes many forms, four of which will be covered in this video. The first is the abusive form. For example, John argues that because dark chocolate has antioxidants and most other candies only have sugar which rots your teeth, dark chocolate is therefore better than most sweets. Tim responds to this argument, Yeah, but you're a greedy jerk. Whatever John's moral character may be, Tim's response is not an argument. John may in fact be a greedy jerk, but that doesn't make him wrong. Another more common variant of this is the circumstantial form. For example, if Tim were to respond to John's argument saying, Yeah, but you work for the chocolate company. You're paid to say that. John may have been paid to make the argument, but that doesn't address the argument he was making. Now, if Tim were to respond to John's argument, Yeah, but I saw you eating a candy cane. This would be an example of the third variant of ad hominem, called tuquoque, which is Latin for you also. Being a hypocrite does not invalidate an argument. The fourth and final form of ad hominem is the guilt by association. This would be if Tim responded to John by saying, Nazis also believed dark chocolate was better, implying that, holding this belief, John is as bad as a Nazi. That still is not an argument. John may, in fact, be a Nazi, but that doesn't automatically make him wrong. It certainly doesn't address the issue at hand. Just remember, a personal attack is not an argument. So the next time you see this happening in a discussion, make sure to link them to this video. There you go. So, you know, that's what happened here is that Ed Young, you know, the only reason why people would criticize him is because, well, they're haters. When you're as successful as Ed Young, you know, well, people are just going to hate you. And that's the only reason why they'd critique, because this is all a God thing. Wait, we have some amazing people in our church. We have some amazing people in the media who are connected with us. Yeah. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I love you guys. Great. You're honest. You have great integrity. You report the truth. Yet there's always some who are negative. That's because they're haters. And I think about WFAA, a station here in Dallas that continues to attack the local church, that continues to be negative. Here's what they said. And this is not even close to the truth about Fellowship Church. You ready for this? And they said this after one of the largest attendances in the history of Fellowship Church. They said this after... Yes, yeah, because he, he... I mean, after the largest attendances, I mean, that's why WFAA is bringing this out, is because oh, Ed Young's church is growing, and it's a God thing. Fellowship Church is at one of the largest attendances in North America. They didn't talk about the life change and all the people. No, they, talk, they didn't talk about life change. Yeah, right, yeah. About the negative. Are you ready for this? Yeah. The city of Grapevine has denied a permit to his Fellowship Church to exhibit wild animals during its services. The city of Grapevine has denied a permit to his Fellowship Church. His, mine, no, no, no. His being God's. Uh, I'm surely... That's what they were talking about. Yeah, surely. Yeah, I'm, su I'm sure that's what they were talking about. Stop calling me Shirley. The city of Grapevine has denied a permit to Fellowship Church to exhibit wild animals during its services. That is totally and completely 
false. We have never been denied a permit. We called prior to the Easter services. There was not a permitting process in place. After the Easter services, we've been working with the city to help them in this process. WFAA continues to exaggerate, to falsify, to deal in fiction rather than fact. Yeah. What about your <clears throat> private jet? Was that fiction or fact? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like he's in damage control mode there, you know, <laughs> quick, you know. But notice he took the occasions, I mean, since he had the camera rolling to make sure to throw everybody who's a critic under the bus. They're all a bunch of haters, you know, and, and reiterate the fact that this is a God thing. And they didn't talk about all the life. They've got a lot of life change going on out there at Fellowship Church. And, uh, you know, so that makes them completely above criticism. And the only reason why you would criticize is because you're a hater. <sighs> anyway. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back, starting our 2012 edition of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon contest time. Wow, wow, wow. 
The good, the bad, and, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Every year, we have our worst Easter sermon of the year contest. And I try to pick from a spectrum here. Gotta tell you, I'm having a hard time whittling these things down. It's very tempting to just make every episode this week all about this. Anyway, our first contestant for your consideration for the worst Easter sermon of 2012 comes to us via South Hills Church, Corona, California, Chris Soxon presiding. The name of the Easter sermon that we will be reviewing, which was preached on Easter, is entitled Inked, like ink as in tattoo, ink. Um, Chris Songson is probably the first person that I can recall who is preaching a sermon based upon something that doesn't exist in the biblical text. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Um, I, I, in fact, I'm probably going to have to let him explain it to you. Because, you know, he reads part of a biblical story early on in this thing and then ask a question that isn't answered by the biblical text. But don't, don't worry, despite the fact that the question that he asks isn't answered in the biblical text, he just runs with it. So, just again, compare what you are hearing in this edition to what you heard in all of the good Easter sermons we played last year, and you'll start to see that there's something terribly, terribly wrong something completely missing although there is you know jesus and him crucified for our sins does get an honorable mention in songson's easter speech so without any further ado let's kill this music here without any further ado here is chris songson and his easter sermon called inked here we go well good morning how's everybody doing Awesome. It's so good to see you here. I want to welcome you to South Hills Church. Happy Easter to you. Welcome to one of our eight weekend services this weekend. And uh, so don't act like you're tired. I don't want to hear it. Um, It is awesome to see you here. Just welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to have you here. It's been an incredible weekend here at South Hills Church. I want to welcome all those who are watching online anywhere in the world. So good to have you here with us. And uh, uh, But also, hey, we have an incredible weekend. Uh, we had two Good Friday services. They were amazing. Of course, our other campuses are doing services as well. Yesterday was our Easter egg hunt and uh, probably our largest attendance ever. Thousands of people came out. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, we really believe in families around here, so we want to provide for the community in this family way. And uh, uh, here's some of the photos just from the Easter egg hunt. Really awesome time. Uh, just some of the kids going crazy over the eggs there. And uh, oh, that cute. There's a kid. We tied those up because they were causing trouble. And, oh, oh, look at that. And then here we go and keep going. Now, I want to show This is an adult Easter egg hunt, though, and I want to point something out to you. Uh, that this is where $250 was in one of the eggs. People always ask me, hey, would you keep the money? You're darn right I would. Um, but look at the guy in the red shirt. Let's go to the next photo. Now, notice he's starting to touch me a little. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but okay, next photo. And that, from that point forward, I only got three eggs with Tootsie Rolls in them. So 
He goes, that, that guy right there, he goes to our church. He's not going to heaven, but he goes to our church. And there he is. So, but hey, we had an awesome time. We believe in here, families in South Hills. Matter of fact, uh, on your way out, you'll notice this big angry words kind of a display out there. During the month of April, only for the month of April, we're having this thing where we do... Uh, kindergarten through sixth grade come into this room, but the parents come with them, and it's an interactive service. You get to sit with your kids. If you got a kindergartner, if you got somewhere a kindergartner to sixth grade, uh, be here Wednesday nights because you'll see that display out there, and it's called Angry Words. It's a playoff of Angry Birds, and uh, uh, and uh, parents love it. It's interactive. You will have a blast. So come and be a part of that. That's what we do here at South Hills. We're all about just enhancing the family, and uh, it's awesome. You saw a video about a guy getting a tattoo. And you might be wondering, okay, why are we showing a video of a guy getting a tattoo? Well, let me just give you a couple stats. One out of, every, one out of eight Americans have a tattoo. If you have a tattoo, raise your hand up in the air. Let me see it. All right. Even if we can't see where it's at, go ahead and raise your hand in the air. Maybe we don't want to see it. Uh, one out of eight Americans have a tattoo. Uh, now, the reason I tell you that little stat is this. We're doing a series that's starting today called Inked. Because here's the reality. Everybody has tattoos. Everybody has tattoos. Now, you might not be able to see your tattoo, but you have a tattoo. And you know why you have a tattoo? Because you got a tattoo on your heart. Or you have a tattoo on your mind. Or you got a tattoo on your past. Everybody has tattoos that, uh, from the past that affect your present. So you might not have a physical tattoo on an arm or a shoulder or back or whatever, but you have, everybody in this place, including me, have tattoos that sort of mark us in life. We all have those things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when people get tattoos, don't they generally volunteer for them? The, the metaphor, <laughs> the contextualized metaphor apparently is the thing that's leading the sermon and setting up the problem. But already we got a problem because I, I know some folks who have tattoos. I don't have one, uh, but I know some folks who have them and generally they um, they volunteer to get them. They put them in places on their body where they can be seen for the most part. And they want people to know that they've got them. The, the tattoos mean something for people. Um, it, it's not like there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of bad guys out there running around, finding a bunch of people, pinning them to the ground, and then tattooing them against their will. So already we've got a problem because, I mean, in this postmodern age, tattoos are a very important part of our culture. And last time I checked, folks, there's nobody who's, well, involuntarily getting tattoos unless they were so inebriated that they made the decision without the ability to have all of their mental faculties at their disposal at the time that the tattoo was <clears throat> put on their body. So we got a problem here, you know, and that is, is that we're not leading off with a biblical text. And so, okay, I'm not sure what tattoos have to do with Jesus and him crucified and raised again for our sins and for our justification. I mean, okay, so there's all these people out there, and <laughs> they they have these invisible tattoos that have left a mark on them. Okay years ago, one of my favorite stories to tell, a couple years ago I went golfing. Uh, I was down there at the Castle Park working on my putting. It was an amazing day. And uh, uh, you get in there for 550. I've never won a hole-in-one. Anybody ever won that hole-in-one? I lose every time. But anyway, 
Went golfing a few years back and I was actually going to do some speaking somewhere and I was there for a couple days at a conference and I had an afternoon off and I thought, well, you know, instead of just sitting around in the hotel room, I'm going to go play some golf. There's nobody out here with me. I was by myself. I figured I'll rent some clubs and I'll go out there and play a little golf. And it was a nine-hole course. And if you've ever been on a nine-hole course, you play it twice. Nine plus nine is 18, and that's how they call it, an 18-hole golf course. And that's how many holes there are in golf. And uh, so I went out there and played, and they didn't have a cart. All they had was, uh, uh, was those pull carts where you kind of pull your bags behind because it was a short course. So I go out there, and I said, hey, I don't have any clubs. Can I rent some? Oh, yeah, you can rent some. And, and it's only a nine-hole course, and you, we'll give you a little pull cart thing for your golf clubs. And uh, matter of fact, those guys, those threesome out there, they're finishing up the ninth hole. They're going to play again, and there's only three of them. You can join them and be a foursome, and you can all play together. I thought, okay, that's cool, you know. So I go up there, and I love telling the story. I go up there, and I'm all kind of, you know, got my shorts and a collared shirt, kind of looking at the golf, golf part. And these guys are construction workers. And, uh, and they went straight from the construction site to the place. And they had the big boots on and the torn up jeans. They're like, hey, how you doing? You know, whatever. And uh, so we introduced each other. Now, I had my clubs on a little pull cart like this. They had their clubs right here, and then they had this ice chest that was strapped to this, car, this golf cart thing. And there wasn't Pepsi in there. But I noticed throughout the course that it was pepping them up. So they're walking along, and they're holding, they're pulling this thing like this, you know. And we go to the first hole, we introduce each other, and they open up the ice chest, and they start pulling out beers. Now, I don't have a big problem with alcohol. It's not a big issue to me. I just choose not to drink. But they pull out these, these, these beers, and they're like, hey, man, you want a beer, dude? Come on, you know? And uh, so they're pulling out beers, and they're giving them away, and they're going. And you can tell they've already had a couple hundred of them. And uh... just a, a reminder, this is an Easter sermon, and now we're telling a golfing story, and no biblical texts have yet to appear in this Easter sermon. In fact, Jesus hasn't made his cameo appearance yet. So, I mean, don't worry. Jesus will make some kind of a cameo appearance. I'm sure Chris Songson will allow him to come out, wave to the folks, and then quickly usher him back behind the stage just to let everybody know that Jesus is in the building. And not that they're going to talk really about him, but you get what I'm saying. So I said, nah, dude, I want a beer. And he goes, come on, dude, have a beer. I said, nah, I don't want it. He goes, what's your problem? He was talking like that. So I just wanted to relate to him. I don't know. What's yours? You know, just... So I said, I just don't want one. Okay, all right, are you a cop or something? I'm like, maybe. Um, so we went on to the second hole, the third hole, you know, we're playing along. But every hole, they pulled out alcohol. Every single hole they were pulling out. You want them to be here? We got beer. They're flying everywhere. Third hole, fourth hole, fifth hole. By the fifth hole, I was opening up the ice chest thinking, it's got to run out soon. I mean, it's like an endless supply in there, you know? It's got to run out soon. So we're getting like the fifth or sixth hole. I don't know what it was. And I'm, I'm sitting there chipping. Now, chipping in golf means that you're like about 30, 40 yards out. You just kind of hit the club like this. It goes up. It's supposed to go up in the air and then land on the green. And boom, that's how you're supposed to get there. So I'm getting ready to chip, getting my feet all ready. Took a couple practice swings. I'm getting all. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> and I turn behind me like, what's going on now? You know? And he's behind, one of the dudes is behind the tree and he's smoking pot. And he's like, you want some? I mean, dude, I can barely putt on grass. I don't want to smoke it. Uh, so he's standing there, you know, we do the whole thing. We go to the seventh hole. We're playing. And they keep pulling out the beer. Now, here's the thing that really made me mad. They were high as a kite, and they were beating me. So we get to, like, the seventh hole or whatever. We got a couple holes left. 
And uh, out comes the beer again. You know, finally, the guy, you want some beer? I said, no, I don't want a beer. Goes, what's wrong with you, man? I said, what do you mean what's wrong with me? He goes, you, 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 didn't, you didn't want any of our beer? We've been offering you beer every hole. You don't, you, you don't, want, any of our, you don't want any of our pot. We've been offering you everything. What's your problem? One of them speaks up that hadn't really talked. He goes, I know what his deal is. That dude's a Mormon. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was, come on out, dude. I'm not a Mormon. And the other guy speaks up. He goes, I know what it is. You're a Christian. And then I, and then I thought, here we go, unload. I said, no, even worse, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you said something. <laughs> it, was, it was a great moment. Now, once they all found out I was a pastor, then the free counseling kicked in for the next couple holes, <laughs> which is typical. And so I'm walking along, you know, and, and uh, one of the guys, though, begins to share with me a pretty, a, a pretty intense story. He says, you know, you have 10 years ago, I was enrolled at Bible college. Ten years ago, I thought I wanted to be in the ministry. I knew I wanted to be. He goes, but then my wife left me. And then he goes, and then this happened. And then this happened in my life. And he started, you know what he was listing? He was listing listing out his invisible tattoos. That's what he was doing. He was saying to me, Chris, I know that I'm to go this way. I know God's got bigger plans for my life. I know I'm to have. Listen, listen carefully to the litany here. So apparently he's listing off his tattoos. I know that God has something better for my life. Okay. Healthy relationships. I know I'm to have all these wonderful things, but I got all these tattoos over here. Yeah, I'm supposed to have all these wonderful things, but my tattoos are getting in the way. See, God wants me to have all these wonderful things. Huh. Sounds like a different gospel to me. What about you? Let's continue. He was really telling me. Because the reality is, we all have them. Now, we're here on Easter. We're here to celebrate both the death and the resurrection of Christ. Because of what he did 2,000 years ago, it makes eternity possible in heaven. Makes eternity possible. Wow, yeah, that sounds powerful. I'm glad that Jesus made eternity possible. It's a potential eternity, you know. Someone's got to pay for all the debt that we have. You know, someone's got to wipe clean all the debt. We all have debt. Our sin creates a debt that we cannot pay. And Jesus Christ comes and he dies on the cross and says, I'll pay that debt for you. There's no amount of money could ever pay it. Now, this is a bona fide gospel nugget. And we don't get many opportunities to do this on the on the program anymore because the seeker driven guys rarely, if ever, you know, drop a gospel nugget. But we have a sound bite, you know, a sound that we use to identify the gospel nugget. Something that sounds remotely like the gospel. Well, it, it, you know, Jesus paid our debts. That's a gospel nugget. Here, hang on. So there was the gospel. And it was flying through really, really, really fast. I don't think we're going to get too much more except for the jet wash of that particular gospel nugget as far as the gospel's concerned. So let's continue. And so that makes eternity possible. That's what it's all about. But here's the interesting thing. But. Got to be aware of that little conjunction. But oftentimes when a pastor uses that, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it makes eternity possible. But the but erases what was said before that. So, yeah, Jesus died for our sins. But we've got something more important we need to talk about. So we're going to, that's why it was a gospel nugget. It, you know, it came and went. We made our obligatory thing that we had to do to make the sound Christian. 
But we got more important things to get on to right now. We got to deal with all these tattooed people, you know, people who have internal involuntary tattoos. Yeah. When he died on a cross, a couple days later, he rises from the dead. He comes back and he visits some of the disciples, but one of the disciples had a little bit of an issue. Yeah, so now, we, now we're going to psychoanalyze the disciples, particularly Thomas. He had an issue, yeah. That Thomas guy, apparently, maybe he suffered from an involuntary internal tattoo. You know, listen in. One of them had a problem. And his name is Thomas. And I want to look at, real quick, I want to look at this uh, uh, scripture found in John chapter 20, verse 24 through 25. Now, <clears throat> 24 through 25, we're going to look at two verses out of context. But here's the deal. Pay close attention. He's not going to exegete what's said in these passages, in, in these verses. No. He's going to exegete what isn't said. I, this is a hermeneutical feat. I don't think anybody should try. because <laughs> It's not hermeneutics. But pay close attention. So he's going to read these two verses about Thomas, but he's not going to focus on what this, those verses say. He's going to then ask a rhetorical question and then Highlight the fact that the answer to the question that he's asking isn't found in Scripture, but don't worry, he's not going to let that stop him. He's going to bravely and boldly venture off <laughs> into, into a point that isn't even made in the Bible. And he says, oh, yeah, you got to hear it. Listen. And it reads like this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, did you catch that? All the disciples were together, but Thomas was not around them. He was not hanging out with them. That's an interesting thing. We'll come back to that. It says, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I uh, see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, this is an interesting thing. He says, he says this, Thomas, all the disciples were hanging out with Jesus. He rose from the dead. Let's go tell Thomas. They all run and they go tell Thomas. Thomas, he rose from the dead. And Thomas says, you know what? I don't believe you disciples. Yeah, but Thomas, Jesus told us three months ago that he would rise from the dead. He would get nailed with his hands and his feet for us for eternity. He was the son of God. He was going to do this. He said, not only do I not believe you disciples, I don't even know if I believe him. Now, here's the interesting thing. What was it inside of Thomas's life that caused him to not be able to trust people? Uh, <laughs> um. <clears throat> Something tells me that Chris Songson is not qualified as a psychoanalyst. Um, he should not be doing this. So this is the big burning question. What was it inside of Thomas? Let's see. If we could just go back in time and put Thomas on the couch and, you know, psychological couch and, and get him to just reminisce. What was it, Thomas? What is it inside of you that's making it so that you're having trust issues? I mean, it's obvious that maybe you have an internal tattoo. <laughs> so, okay, so he read the two verses. He's now asked a question. The answer is not given in the text. <laughs> the, the gospel writer, the apostle John, does not ever engage in psychoanalyzing Thomas to find out why he has these trust issues. But don't worry. Chris Songson 
and, and his vigilance at being relevant will not allow this lack of information to keep him from making this important, relevant point. What, caused, what was the thing in Thomas's life that caused him to say, I don't trust you, disciples and friends, and I sure in the heck don't trust you, Jesus, Son of God. I don't trust you. What happened in his life? Now, the Bible doesn't say. There's not very much written about Thomas. Right. In other words, if it doesn't say this is not what you're given to preach, the, uh, I just want to point this out. A biblical pastor, a Christian pastor, is under orders by via his office as a pastor and what is instructed for the pastoral office to preach the word. Okay, It doesn't say preach what you think should be in the word, preach what isn't in the word, um, preach what you hope is kind of in the word, preach what you think you can extrapolate, uh, extrapolate safely that isn't in the word that you think should be there, that isn't a logical conclusion of what you think may be the case of what's being said in the word. It doesn't say any of that. The job of the pastor is to preach the word. Okay, Chris Oxen here read two verses about Thomas, Thomas, gave us a psychoanalyzing question. What is it about Thomas' life that has led him to have these trust issues? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Um, that means you shouldn't say either. You should, this is, you, have you ever been skiing? Now listen, it, it has been many years since I've been skiing. I am not built like a skier anymore. When I was young, in a, a teenager, uh, my parents liked to ski. In fact, during spring break, we would often take vacations to like Mammoth Mountain or we would go to Park City, Utah. Okay. And when you're skiing on the slopes, okay, there are trails. There are well-known, well-marked areas where it's okay for you to ski. Okay. And oftentimes, you know, the, you know, the, the trails are marked as far as you know, skill level is concerned. You know, this is okay for beginning and intermediate. This is black diamond or double diamond. You don't want to do this unless you are an expert skier. And all of the trails generally have names. The, we, this, the name of this trail is the Dragon Scale, or the you know, the, the, this one's called the Shoot. This one's called Bunny Rama. I, you know, they all the trails have names. The idea being is is that those are the areas that it's okay for you as a skier to well ski on. Okay, you don't want to ski in an area where the, the the signs say "Don't ski here." This is not a trail. Okay, generally for reasons being something like this, it might look like it's the beginning of a trail, but once you get in there, you're going to realize, well, rather than going downhill, things go uphill, or they have uh, they've got lots and lots and lots of trees, and unless you are a expert slalom person you're going to die skiing through there because of it's just a matter of time where before you're not going to be able to make that turn and you're going to go full bore into a tree or worse there's cliffs you know the terrain suddenly drops off in such a manner that if you were to continue going down that non-trail you would end up flying off of a cliff saying a quick prayer about the God, you know, to the God whom you are about to meet and then come crashing down to the bottom of the cliff and die. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So here's the idea is, is that what Chris Songson is doing right here is the equivalent of skiing at a ski slope 
in an area where there is is clearly marked there is no trail here you can't ski safely down this path this this direction you can't go this way because it's not a trail okay and unfortunately um as you will see using this metaphor um he's going to um i mean literally just land off somewhere other than christianity he's He's at this point, you know, freestyling it in an in an area marked no trail. You, you don't ski here. Yeah, that's the metaphor. But let's continue. A guy get abandoned by his wife at the altar? I don't know. Did Thomas get abandoned by his wife at the altar? We just don't know. Did the guy get abused by his parents growing up? I don't know. Did his dad walk out on him when he was eight years old? I have no idea. But I do know this. Thomas has got some tattoos that were put on his life that causes him to say, not only will I not trust my friends, I'm not going to even trust Jesus Christ. I'm not even. Yeah, we, we can know this for sure. He's got some tattoos there. To trust them. Something happened in Thomas' life. Here's the big idea. If you got a pen, you might want to write this down on that big piece of paper that you were given. Here's a big idea. Life has a way of leaving its mark on us. Why don't we all say that together in the house? It's up on the screen. One Life has its way of leaving its mark on us. Wow, yeah, that's deep. Wow, yeah. You got a verse that says that? Life has a way of isn't that true? Life got a way of leaving its mark on us. Now, notice here the way he's talking. Um, uh, it's as if the the primary problem that Christianity solves is well, all those marks that that evil thing called life left on you. I mean, it just it's you know you were you were going about your business. You were just an innocent person walking down the street, and next thing you know, boom, life tackled you and and gave you a terrible experience that makes it so that it left its mark on you and so jesus comes along and he goes oh you poor victim oh this is this is not the way i intended things to be ah uh, so you know what i'm going to do is I, I i'm going to go to the cross and the cross is like the cosmic tattoo laser removal surgery and what we're going to do is we're going to we're just going to remove those marks and those boo-boos and 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 those things that have happened to you because i mean you're just an innocent victim and uh, and my death is going to is going to is going to laser out all of those those marks that that life has left on you because otherwise you would pretty much just be a a, a good person that's it's just that you know life threw you some curveballs and and made it hard for you to have you know well it's trust now you got trust issues and things like that that have happened to you all because of you know life coming along and and doing these evil things to you it's got a way of tattooing our life now i call this cause and effect important words there you want to stay away from when you got a pastor saying this i call this Hmm. What does the Bible call it, Chris? There's always a cause and there's always an effect. Let me give you an example. If you overeat all the time, that's the cause. The effect will be you'll probably gain what? Because there's a cause and there's effect. If you overspend all the time, that's a cause. Chances are there's going to be an effect called debt. It's cause and effect. It's always that way. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was so we got two bad results of life. You know, life has, you know, God has so much better for you. I mean, 
So what do we learn right now is, is that, well, life can, well, come along and tattoo you and mark you in two particular ways. Uh, one, I mean, you could be just walking down the street and all of a sudden you're just overeating. And, and the effect of that is, is that, well, you're overweight. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, it's awful. What a terrible result. Uh, and then, see, you know, you're walking down the street, just minding your own business because you're a decent person. And next thing you know, you're overspending and, no, and now you're in debt. Oh, okay. So, so Jesus is going to come to solve the problem of obesity and debt. Wow, what a Jesus that is. Uh, in Florida, Jacksonville, doing some speaking there, and uh, uh, and uh, um, uh, I was at the Marriott where they were at, at the Sawgrass. Anybody ever familiar with that? It's an amazing place. It's where the, in two weeks they're having a big tournament there. They were setting up the grandstands, and it was awesome to be there. What a privilege! And uh, uh, and the guy that was kind of in charge, one of the dudes that was in charge, he goes, "Hey, let's go out to dinner." I say, "Okay." So uh, uh, I walk outside. Uh, of this big, gorgeous, incredible hotel with two golf courses on it, amazing, all Tiger Woods, everybody plays there, and I'm walking out of this hotel, and uh, I look, and I'm standing there at the valet, and I'm waiting for my guy to pick me up to go to dinner, and there sits this Ferrari, brand new, with a top down, and it was red, and it was gorgeous, it was like a half a million dollar car. And this dude comes walking up, and he goes, okay man, you ready to go, and he walks towards the Ferrari, and I thought he was playing, but it was for real. He was like, and I thought, man, what a great gift for speaking. Thank you. Wow, you're generous here at this company. And uh, so they said, he says, no, hop in, man. It's my car. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. So uh, I, I mean, I literally, I got inside. I had, my, I had my phone right here in my hand. I'm like, I'm number one. Yes. Uh, it was awesome. And this car moved, man. But now just picture it. You're in Florida. You're in Jacksonville. You're on the coast. You're flying down the highway in a convertible Ferrari, top down, red, Walmart sunglasses on. <laughs> I'm not an arrogant person, but I was looking hot. I mean, I was. I was, I was like, man, whoo, I'd take pictures of myself. It was looking good. Now, we're flying along, and he's going, you know, and he comes around this, this on-ramp, and we, you know, we're going on this on-ramp onto the freeway. And I'm like, man, we're flying, you know? And I'm like, give it gas, dude. And then we had to get into find a spot in the lane. Then he got over to the fast lane. We were only going about 40 or 50, but he got over to the fast lane. I go, move it. And he just goes, wham, and boom, my head goes back. And wham, we're in seconds, we're up to 120. In the name of God, it was incredible. Uh, <laughs> as we were breaking the law, it was an incredible, incredible moment. So we're flying down this thing. Now, in that Ferrari, it's a cause and effect. Overeat, gain weight. Overspend, go in debt. Push the pedal, you take off. There's a cause, and there's always an effect. Always. Thomas, something happened in his life, and there was an effect. The golfer on the golf course. So how does he know that something was wrong in Thomas's life? Well, cause and effect. It doesn't say it in the, in the biblical passage, but using this simple principle of cause and effect, it's clear that there was a cause that led to the effect. Well, of Thomas having trust issues... See, because, you know, because Chris Sonkson figured out cause and effect from this ride in the Ferrari that he had. Hmm, okay. Who began to share his story with me. There was a cause in his life, and then there was an effect. 
There was something that went down that caused that problem. Put up on the screen for me. Let's look at just some possible examples of causes and effects. Okay, now they don't go this way, so understand, they're not, they're not meant to go left to right. Just, I want you to focus on the cause. Okay, look at the causes. Okay, here's some things that are represented in this room. There are some of you that have been physically abused. Some of you in here have been physically abused. Some of you in here have been sexually abused. That's a cause in your life. It happened somewhere in your life. Maybe it's happening now. Maybe some of us, there's verbal abuse Maybe you've been always told that you were less than and always kind of put down and that affected your life. Maybe there's been... <clears throat> now, I would point out that the root cause of all of this is our sinful nature. The root of this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. As one of our good Easter sermons pointed out, when Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned against God, all the misery and results of that you know, come into effect. And none of us are innocent. We're all perpetrators. And that's, isn't that how the cycle of abuse goes? Those who are abused end up abusing. So the, the, the victim becomes the perp. Um, so here's my question is, is that why is he talking only about the victims here rather than the people who have perpetrated these sins? And how do you make light of that? And how do you how do you make sense of that in light of the cross? Oh, this is I, I do not I'm prob, I'm firmly convinced that Chris Songson is not qualified to do group therapy. But here's the deal: the two uh, the two ideas we've had so far, well, maybe now three. So we got obesity, debt, and well, um, you know, you've got issues because of abuse. Okay, so do I need? a crucified and risen Savior to solve any of these problems. If I'm in debt, I need a good financial counselor. If I'm overweight, I just need a personal trainer. If I'm suffering from you know abandonment issues or issues as a result of the cause in my life that I was abused, maybe I need to go and, and spend some time with a good therapist. Do I need a crucified and risen Savior for any of these problems? Now, the answer actually is yes, because all of these things are manifestations of sin in our own lives, and the solution for it is Christ and him crucified for our sins, and the free forgiveness of sins and pardon won by Christ on the cross that we know is the case because of his victorious resurrection from the grave. But that's not how this sermon is going down. We're now in doing group therapy here. Rejection in your life. Maybe, maybe parents rejected you or someone rejected you that, that you loved and that you cared about. A job, a place. And then there's abandonment. Maybe, the, maybe you were abandoned as a kid. Maybe you were 10 years old. Maybe you, were, maybe you were abandoned at the altar. Maybe you were abandoned by a spouse that decided they love someone else more than they love you. How about betrayed? Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been neglected by someone. And when those things happen, which they happen in a lot of our life, there's always an effect. Now, here's the effect for, for some of us, okay? Maybe, maybe some things have happened, like that golfer, my buddy out on the golf course, maybe there's some things that have happened that have left you with a fear of intimacy. Maybe you fear intimacy. Maybe it's hard for you to ever really get close. To oh, no. I fear intimacy. <sighs> 
intimacy phobia? Really? Oh, man. I don't think this guy's qualified to be doing any of this or even discussing it. This is just pop psychology done badly with a veneer of something to do with the e with the Easter story. Ugh. People, because you're, you're not sure if they're going to hurt you or not. Maybe, maybe you've got insecurity in your life. Maybe all that abuse and stuff has caused you to be insecure. Maybe there's low self-esteem. You never feel like you could ever measure too much because you're living, grabbing to the... Yeah, I, again, I just don't see that as the big problem of humanity. People suffering from low self-esteem. The, <laughs> the sinners I roll with, the people that I hang with, you know, including myself, it's not low self-esteem that's our problem. It's quite the opposite. It's, you know... Tattoos and these ink stains from the past in your life. Maybe, maybe there's a, a difficulty trusting. Maybe you have a hard time like Thomas did. I don't know if I believe Jesus, and I sure don't believe my friends. You have a difficulty trusting, and that keeps your relationships really shallow. That's why some of your marriages suffer, because there's this difficulty of trusting and difficulty of intimacy. Maybe there's... Yeah, so do you suffer from shallow relationships? Yeah, well, don't worry. We, we, we got something to help you here, because, I mean, you've obviously been victimized. You've been inked against your will. Addictions. Maybe, maybe you've resorted to alcohol or to drug or to sexual addiction. You like to think you have it in control, but maybe you don't. Or maybe there's... Yeah, you see, the reason why you've resorted to alcohol, drugs, and sexual addiction now, apparently, uh, is because, well, you've been victimized. See, that's the result of that cause, that you've been victimized by life. You've been abused. You see, you're, you're really innocent. You wouldn't be experiencing these negative results in your life if you hadn't been victimized. You see? So, we, we need to fix this. Or difficulty connecting with people. Maybe some of us, you think, well, I'm just shy. No, maybe the real issue is, you know, you don't really like engaging with people. And because of these causes back here, there's many of these effects. Here's how it works. The cause, okay, let's just, let me show you the cycle. Here's the cause. Here's the cause is, I was abandoned or rejection. The fact is, because I was abandoned or rejected, the effect is that I don't trust people anymore, and I don't want to get close to people. And you know what the result is? I have very shallow relationships. You see how that works? There's a cause, there's an effect, and then there's the ultimate result that plays out in our daily life. Now, you know what we're going to do for the next few weeks here at South Hills? And I, I know that some of you don't go to church on a regular basis. Some of you come to this church at two or three times a year. Some of you are, this is your... By the way, I do know what they're going to be doing for the next few weeks there at South Hills. Mangling the scriptures, not teaching biblical Christianity, um, engaging in shallow uh, pop psych with a thin veneer of something to do with the Bible, and basically misleading people into thinking that this is Christianity. That's what goes on every week there at... South Hills. I'm here, but I'm telling you right now, this is an incredible thing. For the next few weeks, we're going to go on a journey. And don't you think that once and for all, let's deal with those issues in our life? Wouldn't it be great if, if, we, just, if we just said, I'm not going to commit to this church, but I will commit to this series. Did you hear me? I'm not going to commit to this church. I'm not asking you to commit to this church. But I'm going to challenge you right now to commit to this series. Did you follow me? I'm asking you to commit to this church. This is doublespeak. He wants them to commit to the church, but he doesn't want to sound like he wants them to commit to the church. So uh, I don't want you to commit to the church. Just commit to the series so that we can, once we got you hooked, you'll commit to the church. I'm not asking you to make this your church home. I'm asking you to say, I'll be here for the series. Do you know why? Because wouldn't it be cool in the next few weeks if our marriages were better than they've ever been? Yes or no? Come on, yes or no? If you say no, you're sleeping on the couch, so you better say yes. 
Wouldn't it be great if our marriages were better in the next few weeks because we worked on these issues? Hey, wouldn't it be great if... Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And all the way up to the point where they go to hell because they haven't been brought to repentance for their sins and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Felt better about ourselves? Wouldn't it be greater if we got emotionally healed up? Wouldn't it be greater if God started to erase some of those tattoos and start of our life? Look, I'm not... Jesus, the great laser surgery removal service. I'm asking you to join this, this church. I'm asking you for the next five weeks to lock arm with me and just be here once a week. And let's see what God could do in you as we work together to possibly erase some of those causes and those effects in our life. Everybody get it? So be here for the next few weeks and join me on this thing. Your marriage is worth it. Your life is worth it. Your children is worth it. They're worth it. Be here for the next few weeks because they're worth it. A few years, several years ago, I was a past associate pastor at a church. And uh, we lived, the church was not really in the nicest area of town. And right across the street, literally across the alley, if you will. Here we go. Another story from his life. I, you know, one thing is for sure. This Easter sermon, it ain't about Jesus. I think one could argue, based upon the sheer amount of content devoted to telling life stories from Chris Songson's life, this sermon's really about Chris Songson. It ain't about Jesus. It's about Chris. There was a group of seven or eight or nine, ten gang-type guys, you know, uh, 18, 19, 20. They were just, they were rough guys, you know, the bandana and the, you know, blades hanging off of them. I know all of them had guns on them. They were just rough. And they would show up sometimes on, on the weekend or at night when we'd have different things going on at the church. And they would make inappropriate comments to the women that were parking their car. And we would have to send people out there to protect them. Yet on the other hand, they knew we weren't going to do anything to them because they would ultimately hurt us. We would call the cops. That didn't make, seem to make any difference. They would always show back up. It was an ongoing problem for six, seven, eight, nine months. It just continued. One day I'm driving down the street. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I notice I'm kind of going through this neighborhood, bad neighborhood, on my way to the office. And I, and I see walking on the sidewalk is the kingpin of that little gang. I mean, kind of the chief guy, you know, he got bandana, he's walking, and, and, uh, and I pull over the side road, and I roll my window down. I said, hey, I go, how you doing? And he recognized me from the church. He goes, how you doing? I go, fine. And uh, I said, hey, man, I go, you're uh, walking, now. you want a ride? I don't know what got into me, but I did it. I said, you want a ride, man? And he goes, yeah, all right. He goes to the back seat. He sits in the back seat while I sit in the front praying. I'm going to die right here. I'm going to die, <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting there. I'm trying to get my picture of my kids and my wife. They're counting on me right here. And so I'm driving along. Now we go on for a few minutes. He tells me where he wants to go. So I'm driving there. It'll take 10, 15 minutes to get there, but I told him I'd give him a ride. So I'm driving along just trying to reach out and do a little bit of love. I tilt the thing down about 10 minutes in it. I thought I got nothing to lose. I'm about to die anyway. So I click the mirror down like this and I say to him, I said, Hey man, I said, can I ask you a question? And he's sitting there in the back of my car. <laughs> it was a wild scene. He's sitting in the back of my car. He's all, yeah. And I said, why are you so angry? I mean, it, it was unbelievable in the car. I could just see it on his face like no one's ever asked me that. I said, you just seem like you want to hurt people. Why is that? And then I just felt like God wanted me to say something to him. And I thought, well, I risked it all here. I'm in the car with the guy. And I just, I just out of the clear blue, I just looked at him. And I said, what did your dad do to you? All of a sudden, this man in the back of the car, Mr. Gang, God only knows what he's done. He's in the back of the car, and tears just begin to fly down his cheeks. And with a little bit of strength and maybe even a little bit of anger, he says, you have no idea what my dad's done. 
You have no idea the way that he's touched me. And you have no idea what it feels like to be abandoned or beaten. He goes, that's what he's done. And it was a moment inside the car where I pulled over the side of the road and I began to talk to this guy as he began to share with me all the causes and now the effects and now the results in his life. It was unbelievable. Now let me ask you something. What's your secret? What's the, what's the things that you really don't talk a lot about? Maybe only your wife knows or husband, maybe your friend, maybe nobody does. What's your secret? What's the, what, come, let me ask you, what's the, what's the thing that's going on inside of your life that nobody ever really talks about? What I want you to do is I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come on out right now, and I want to do something. There's an index card found on your seat. There might have been a few of you that didn't get one, but I want you to look, and, look around and see if you find a little Uh-oh. index-looking card, if you could, because I, I need everybody to grab this. You're, gonna, you're not going to want to miss this exercise. Everybody grab If you don't have one, if you can't find one, just swing your hand up. The ushers will come. Our volunteer ushers will come right now. If you don't have one of these, just lift your hand up like this if you don't have one. You can't find one of these white pieces of paper. Not the offering envelope. It's a blank white piece of paper. Lift your hand up in the air. Okay, one in the back. There we go. Just want to make sure. Just keep your hand up if you don't have one. If you do not have one. Okay, right over there in the corner. Way over here in the corner. There we go. Uh, awesome. Anybody else? Just keep your hand up and wave it around. Okay, now, here's what I want you to do. I think we got everybody, volunteer team, so we're good. Okay, now, here's what I want you to do. In, in a moment, the band's going to play a song. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, I want you to secretly, the lights will be dimmed, I want you to kind of cup it in your hand, don't let anybody see it, and I want you to write down no more than three words, your secret, your thing that you really don't talk about. Maybe you've been physically abused and you'd write that down. That's been a cause in your life. Maybe you've been verbally abused, maybe you were sexually abused, write that down. Maybe, just one thing, we're just looking for one thing, I have to write all things, just one major thing. Maybe you have an addiction because of things that have happened in the past. Maybe you grew up in an alcoholic home, or maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you grew up in a drug addiction. Okay, let me put this in context. This is a secret confession of sin in someone's life. So this is a confession of sin. Let's see if they get to the point where they're absolved for this sin. That's going to be the critical piece here. I mean, at this point, what is this? home maybe you struggle with that or sexual addiction pornography whatever you write down addictions that's good enough or maybe or maybe you were abandoned or rejected maybe your mom left you at age eight or your dad or maybe someone divorced you and it just man it felt abandoned you felt rejected because of that affair maybe abandoned rejected would describe it or or maybe maybe you've had the words suicide go through your head over the last week month or year where you thought maybe it'd just be better to end it whatever it is your secret is Here's what's going to happen. The band will start playing. I want you to write that down. On the left side of the row, the person sitting on the left side of the row, there's a bucket. In a moment. Uh, did you catch that? I mean, somebody is going to confess that they've considered suicide. And this is supposed to solve that? I'm going to fill that out. You're going to grab that bucket on the left, and you're going to fold it. You don't want anybody to see your secret. That's between you and God. You're going to fold it up. You're going to put it inside that bucket and just pass it all the way down. No one will see it. It's very anonymous. Then the usher team, our volunteers, they'll collect it. Then they'll redistribute it. And these buckets are going to go to that side. And these buckets are going to go to that side. And then you're going to, as they distribute the buckets across, you're going to pull out another card and get someone else's inside here that you have no idea who they are. It's very anonymous. So you write it down, pass it this way. 
into the bucket, let the ushers collect it, then they'll redistribute it, and you'll end up with someone that you don't even know who it is. You'll pull that out. As the band leads the song, cup that in your hand, they'll dim the lights. I want you to write down something very intimate, then I want you to fold it up, and no one else needs to see it at all. Let's do that now. It was the Okay, so now we got a song being played in the background while people are secretly and anonymously writing down on an index card, uh, well, sin in their life. Oh, man. Okay, so what I'm going to do at the moment, I'm going to fast forward. We're not going to listen to the whole song because otherwise we'd have you know, several minutes of this going on. We're going to fast forward to where he picks up after everyone's put their index cards in the buckets and well they're gonna yeah you know, as you're gonna see they're gonna you know hand them out so the people can anonymously see what other people have written i mean at this point i'm going man i better write with my left hand so that nobody recognizes my handwriting you know what i'm saying anyway let's fast forward through this take those cards i want you to open them up if you haven't already they're now obviously somebody else's card Yours is somewhere in this room, but nobody has no idea. Purely anonymous. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to open up that card and we read what it says. If your card, if your card that you're holding, it's not you, not representing you, you're representing somebody else in this room, so it's cool. It's anonymous. If your card says abuse in any way, physical, sexual, verbal abuse in any way, would you stand up now if your card says that? If your card says that anyway, would you stand up? I just want to show you the amount of pain that's in this room. If your card says in any way, in any way says the word addiction, alcohol, drugs, sexual, any form of addiction, would you stand up right now? You do know that 100% of the people attending there could stand up if the question had to do with are you a sinner in need of a savior? So at this point, he's taking these anonymous index cards where people have written their deep, dark secrets, pass them out to other people in the auditorium there, and has people standing up to kind of make a point. I hope the point is, is that Christ bled and died for all of this and rose again victorious from the grave. A lot of people stay standing please if yours says abandonment or rejection and, and and you might have to interpret that maybe they maybe they were left as a child or divorced or some some form of abandonment or rejection any form of it maybe the word's not there but you but you get that through the message abandonment or rejection could you stand up please yeah do you do you suffer from abandonment and, and rejection You know, I remember the day when people, you know, <laughs> during the old school altar calls in the Nazarene church I grew up in, um, yeah, I mean, old school altar calls, there were people who were, well, confessing some pretty serious sins, you know, that, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but now we got people anonymously confessing they suffer from abandonment issues. <sighs> this is such a glib shallow treatment of sin. People are not being brought to repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. They're, they're, they're just, 
I mean, this is like, you know, Alan Alda in the last episode of MASH, you know, in the fetal position and, you know, on the psychology couch, you know, crying and weeping. <laughs> All right, last one has the word suicide on there in any form. Could you stand up, please? We've had several in every service. So now you got people anonymously confessing that they've considered suicide. And they're going to leave anonymously. Oh, man. Folks, staying in this sacred moment, would you look around the room? You tell me that's not a lot of cause, and that's not a lot of pain in this room? There's a lot of memories in this room. There's a lot of pain going on in this room. There's a lot going on here. Why don't we all stand up, just the rest of us, but staying in this sacred moment, I want everybody to stand. What makes this moment sacred? There's no absolution thus far. Yeah, anonymous, you know, confession of, well, the consequences of sin in your life. Things. Number one, listen. Please. Please listen. I'm begging you as a pastor. Don't join the church. I'm not asking you to. Too. Yeah, you are. That's double talk. But don't you think we need to deal with this pain once and for all? Yeah, let's deal with it. Yeah. Or should we just go on another year like this? What kind of silly question is this? Kidding me? Come on. Let's make our marriages better. Let's make our life better. Let's make our relationships better. Let's go on a journey together. This is not repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is not calling people to repent of their sins and be forgiven by Christ's shed blood on the cross. This is psychobabble. The next few weeks, I'm asking you to join the churches, asking you to join us for the series. If, if church is not your gig, I didn't, I'm not saying that. I'm just asking you to join us for the series. Let's get a grip on these things once and for all. It's too much pain in here. Yeah, let's get a grip on it. Yeah, yeah. Let's make our lives better. That'll, and then at the end of it, we'll all go to hell. To not get a grip on it. Be with us for the next few weeks. That's it. Just for the next few weeks. You know, when Thomas said, I don't believe you, Jesus, Jesus showed up and said, there's my scars right there. There's my scars right there. There's my scar right here. That's the mark. You know, when I die and I get to see Jesus for the first time, which I can't wait, I, want, I, want, I get to be able to touch those scars. You know, here's the deal. Jesus' marks were permanent, so yours wouldn't have to be. Oh, man. Jesus' marks were permanent, so yours wouldn't have to be. It doesn't have to be this way. If you're here today and you're thinking, man, I've, I've got pain. I got hurt. I got cause and effect. I feel like that golfer, Chris, that you told, talked to at the beginning. What about sin? You got any sin you want to, I mean, yeah, I got pain. I got hurt, man. I'm just like that gangbanger sitting in the back seat crying because of my daddy issues. This misses the whole point of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Let me tell you something. Jesus is the answer. Yeah, we're going to go on a journey for the next few weeks, but before... What's the question again? If Jesus is the answer, what's the question again? Because I think the question is, do you have hurt in your life and pain? Talking about psychological, because life has dealt you a bum hand. On that journey, I'm telling you, he's the answer. Open your life to him today. Give him a chance today. Give him a chance in your life. Just give Jesus a chance, man. He so wants to help you. I mean, he can't help you unless you let him. 
He, he he's like the ultimate life coach. He can he can take he can help you overcome all the psychological baggage that you have, so that you can get rid of your um, of your issues and your abandonment problems and your low self esteem, and and help you to you know manage your life better, so that you are skinnier and and are and you don't have debt problems. See, because that's what Jesus he really wants to help you with all that stuff, man. Let them come in and live inside of your life and just say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I don't really know if I even understand all you about God, but I give you my life. The Easter message is Jesus Christ dying on a cross and redeeming us and giving us a second chance like he did for the golfer, he did for Tom. Uh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the gospel. Jesus giving us a second chance. Um, yeah, if that's the gospel, you've already blown your second chance. And if uh, God gave you a third chance, you'd blow that too. Fourth chance, you'd blow that. Fifth chance, you'd blow that. Sixth chance, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Thousand chances, you'd blow them all. A million, you'd blow it. A billion, you'd blow every one of them. Christianity is not about Jesus giving you a second chance. That's not what it's all about because the performance then still depends upon you. Christianity and the message of Easter is that Christ has done it. He scored perfect in keeping the law for you and for me. He calls you to repent of your sinfulness and your rebellion against God and to be forgiven by his shed blood on the cross. He has kept the law perfectly. His righteousness is imputed to you as if you're the one who lived it. Not second chances. He did for me, and he'll do for you. If you just say yes to him. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, you know what? I, 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 what am I saying yes to Jesus for again? Low self-esteem, debt, um, over obesity problems, uh, abandonment issues. What am I saying yes to Jesus for again? So Jesus is like my pop psychologist in the sky. I'm not sure if Christ is the center of my life. Let's fix that today. Or you know what? I don't even know if I were to die later today in some tragic answer. I don't know where I'd spend eternity because I don't, I don't know if my life is really where it should be. Yeah, well, if the answer is no, it's not. And that's what Jesus died for. I'd be a good person, but this is pretty strong, but good people aren't going to go to heaven. <laughs> it's people who have Christ in their life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. Uh, no, no, it's not the people who have Christ in their life. It's people who've been brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They've been regenerated, born again. <sighs> like no one goes to heaven but through me. If you're not where you should be with Christ, let's make that right. And if you're, if you're wounded today or you're going through some things, man, let him just come and love on you. Uh, what? If I've been wounded, Jesus wants to love on me? I don't know what that means, but the mental pictures I'm having, I don't know if I want, if I need that. I mean, I've been wounded, so I need Jesus to come and love on me and just give me a hug. It's like a teddy bear Jesus, you know, the comforter, you know. Make that decision today. Don't leave this auditorium without making the most crucial decision in your life. Why not make this Easter the Easter that changed everything? Notice all this depends on your decision. What am I deciding again? This is the Pelagian heresy run to its logical conclusion, by the way. What am, what am I deciding again? Um... What is Jesus offering me? If, if uh, you know, can you give me some details on that? God, not just another Easter, eggs and lunch and all that stuff. 
Let's make it the Easter that changed everything about your life. Yeah, let's do that. Would you pray with me? No, I won't. Man, that was painful. So there's contestant number one, Chris Songson, for this year's Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And believe me when I tell you, um, they don't get any better uh, for the rest of the week. So, uh, you know, if you were thinking... I can barely make it through that. Trust me, some of the stuff coming up later in the week is as bad, if not worse, than this. Who do he preach about? Himself. What's the Jesus that he talks talks about? Kind of, sort of. What does he offer? A second chance. And he's going to love on you if you're hurt, if you're wounded. This is such a shallow, surfacey treatment of sin that anybody who prayed along at the end of this sermon, they were not truly born again. They were not brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The Jesus that was preached here is Alan Alda Jesus. You know, fetal position Jesus sucking his thumb, psychologically working through all the emotional hurts and scars of, of his difficult life. But it ain't the biblical Jesus. That's for sure. How do you know? Well, because he didn't preach the biblical text. In fact, he made a point of preaching what wasn't in the text that he can extrapolate from his own personal experience, from what he's just, you know figured out from the law of cause and effect. There was no clear passages to support any of the things that he said. Strange thing for a Christian pastor to be doing on Easter Sunday, don't you think? Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and just need to remind you, we're listener-supported radio. Visit our website, and please support this important radio outreach. And let me thank you, thank you, for your support. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>